The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash offer not available in all areas. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Wildcard Weekend is over, Sam. It was an exciting one. I saw people complaining about the weekend of games. But I thought they were great. We had a lot of fun watching Well, that's because nobody topped 30 points, Steve. And if you don't score more than 30 points in today's NFL, you're doing it wrong. <sighs> well, they were still exciting games. Yeah. <laughs> defense, you know, there were some defensive games. There were some bad offense at times, too. But I thought there was really, really good drama in pretty much every game except the Colts and Texans. Yeah. And I kind of liked that it was that game because... If I'm going to be vindicated on anything, I'm going to take a victory lap on this idea that the Texans really weren't that good. This was the game. I said it all the way along. They're going to get to the playoffs, and they're going to get whooped by the first team that they face in the AFC. And ironically, it was a division game. You're just uh, really quick to take your victory lap, just huh? No, I'm not. I'm not taking a victory lap on other things this weekend that I could potentially take a victory lap on. Oh, we'll but get this there. One, we will get this there. This one I am taking a victory lap on. The, uh, the Texans were not that good. They were winning games all season long. They had no business winning, and they got exposed the second it mattered. All right, well, we're going to talk about the game in depth, but where do you want to go with this? Because it's been a weekend of, you know, like things have been said on broadcast that we disagree with. You know, should we touch on those? Should we save those for later or just go game by game and review it? I mean, you're asking the question as if my answer makes a difference one way or the other. You are talking about this whether I say yes or no. So why don't you just spool yourself up and let rip, Steve? 
So what did Booger say this weekend that um, our friend Bucky well, Brooks is now uh, – we're in the middle. This is live. By the way, we're live on YouTube. Thank you thank you guys for everybody, the, the thousands and millions that are tuning in live on YouTube. We're in the middle of a Twitter spat. You guys can see it on Twitter, uh, Bucky Brooks and I, about the run game. Yes. And he essentially doubled down on what Booger said yes. on the broadcast, which was just attempts matter. It's just attempts. Yards are just a bonus. You just keep cramming the ball into the line, and eventually it'll open up a couple play-action passes. Yeah. And obviously this isn't a new line of thinking. Like Big This is establish mug. the run. This is, you know, every time X running back has carried the ball 30 times in a game, they're 152-0. and 0. They always win. Like, this is, this is <laughs> an outdated, geriatric, archaic way of thinking that many people still cling to because this, you know what this is? This is the guy that still uses... Um, you know, fax machines clinging to the idea <laughs> that this is what I this is the way it works. We're using the fax machine. It works fine. Why would you try and give me something better? I don't need an email. I've got a fax. I can get the piece of paper in the guy's hand in 30 seconds. I don't need an email. This is what this is. It is clinging to an old way of life and not adjusting with the times, right? Modern data, numbers, facts have since come out that quite clearly show a better way of doing things. But some people cannot adjust to that. So, yeah, Booger uh, trotted out the line, <laughs> went further than establish the run. Because typically, at least, when people have said you need to establish the run, it means that, you know, at some point it'll start paying off and you'll get the yardage. He went a step further and was like, it doesn't even matter if you get the yardage. Just keep, just keep attempting. Just keep running the ball. Sooner or later, good things will happen. Not necessarily with yards. But something will work its way out because you've carried the ball so many times. In and of itself is a good thing. Uh, Bucky Brooks. I'm today. live responding to Bucky right, right Bucky now. Bucky Brooks today. Good basically job. repeated it. Doubled down. And you took issue with it. And you are now arguing back and forth with Bucky Brooks on Twitter. I'm going to steal George Shahuri's comment on this. Because okay. he's done a really good job. And here's the, here's the thing is about PFF Safe not- for work? That's... What's that? This is a comment that's safe for work. It's from George. safe. George okay. says a lot of unsafe comments yes. around the workplace here. But um, it, look, it's PFF's not the only company that has studied this. We're not the only people that have studied this and said, okay, the run game's overrated. You don't actually need the run game to set up play action. We're not the only ones who have said this. But I love the way George said it because we always joke about when is the run efficiently established? Is it after one carry? Is it 20 carries? And he's like, look. The NFL is about to celebrate their 100-year anniversary. It has been established for 99 years. We have 100 years of run establishment, right? And so as I'm live here discussing with Bucky, he's like, well, why are defenses calling eight-man fronts and they're calling plays to stop the run? And it's because it's been established, because it's, because it's been a, a league where the run uh, has mattered to defensive coordinators. The first thing they say, day one, got to stop the run. Got to stop the run. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the terrifying thing is that there are people in positions running NFL teams right now who genuinely believe that number one on your to-do list of building a quality team should be to get yourself capable of stopping the run and running the ball yourself. Right. And that is just from every piece of data you can currently look at that is 100% the wrong way to do it. It is the, one of the last things you should be looking to do. It's like if we've got everything else in place, maybe let's think about stopping the run, establishing the run ourselves. Let's look at it a different way, too, because I would say, I mean, look, just play action yards. I mean, Matt Ryan, number two, Patrick Mahomes, number four, Andrew Luck, number, I mean, look, it's it's quarterback driven. The play action game is good even when you have a bad rushing attack. That's a key point. 
let me just let me just explain here, right? When people say balance in the NFL, they immediately think of this binary run pass split. Yeah. But balance in the NFL, and we'll talk about the Seahawks in a minute. Balance in the NFL is the ability to win on offense in any way because game plans change within the game. And because to me, balance on offense, running the ball is part of it, but it's probably a quarter of it, 20% of it. Being able to throw deep, throw short, throw at the intermediate level, and then run the ball in, in very broad terms. But balance is, is actually when they take away the run, you could pass. When they let you, yeah. pa- when they let you run, you run, right? And you, and you do everything effectively. If you think of balance as a, as a run-pass split, then as I tweeted out earlier, you get 60 to 80 plays in a game. If you're just going to cram the ball up the middle on 30 to 50% of your plays, you're just going to say, i got to get to 25 carries. I'm just going to waste half my plays with less effective plays just in case it opens up two play-action passes later on. You're wasting half of, half of your offense. Balance is simply the uh, ability to stop a defense taking away the one thing that you're doing. It's just keeping a defense off balance enough so they can't key in on whatever it is you want to do. So that's not, I mean, like you say, it doesn't, it's not a pass-run thing at all. It's just we need to do enough things so that they can't know what we're doing on any given play and get an advantage that way. Now, whether that's, you could be 100% passing if you're balanced in your passing game to the point where they can't tell what you're going to do and defend it, that's balance. You don't need, it doesn't have to be a run thing at all. It just, it involves doing enough things that a defense can't immediately key on what you're doing and take it away. But, I, so... That, I think, is an important point, that the people that say establishing the run is everything point to this play-action thing. It's like, well, when you establish the run, it opens up play-action, and that's how so many of these teams are able to actually get these chunk plays on offense. It's the play-action. It's the threat of having an Adrian Peterson in your backfield that opens up this downfield passing game. But, like you say, we and others have studied this, and the play-action numbers are not determined by who the guy is in the backfield. The idea right. that your running back is Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, or any elite running back versus some random scrub that you pull off the street, you know, an Alfred Blue, doesn't make a difference. Zeke Elliott or Alfred Blue in the backfield, the play-action game works the same because teams, defenders are no longer looking at the running back for you know, this may have happened in the 1950s. Well, they have to read their run keys right. no matter but what. But now, run keys are not the running back. Right. It's not, let's watch the back seven yards deep and figure out what he's going to do and he, if he's getting the ball. That Linebackers, etc., their run keys are offensive linemen. It's how this guy comes out of his stance. It's whether he starts pulling, you know, looks at a power play. They're keying uh, guys at the line of scrimmage. They're not keying the running back. So right. the idea that this guy is Adrian Peterson or Alfred Blue or whatever, insert random replaceable running back here, it, it's, that's not what is determining play-action success. And it's also been studied based off of you know, how often you run it in a game. It, it's been studied based off of effectiveness. And essentially, it doesn't matter if you're effective or ineffective. Play-action is going to work. Um, and basically, play-action is always better for the offense. Because, as we said, it's been established for 100 years, right? So defenders are like, hey... I have to read my run keys. It's how I've been taught. So they have to read their run keys. No matter what has happened in the game, once the ball goes into the belly of the running back, you know, they're, look, they're reading their run keys, and it moves defenders. Play action moves defenders. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Play action is effective regardless of how you do it uh, or, how, you know, or regardless of how often you run it. 
I mean, it's almost like, could you even run play action at the first play of the game? The run hasn't been established yet. Is it even possible? Well, when is it sufficiently this, established? Only if the running back is good, because then you, you're yeah. scared of him. I will say, I mean, if you, and we haven't studied this, I, I would imagine if you've run the ball five straight times effectively, the sixth play that has play action is probably effective. But but part of the issue here is the the chances of you having those five effective run plays are so rare so that's, and detrimental to the offense. That's the other thing if that's, you don't get there. that's kind of critical, right? Is that even a successful running uh, day, you're talking, what, five yards per carry? Yeah. A successful passing day is eight-plus yards and per that's attempt. A, a per five attempt. yards per attempt. Not is, per completion, per attempt. Right, five yards per attempt is a bad day. Right. right. So simply, I mean, if you just use that number, that number and nothing else, are you better off running the ball or passing the ball? Well, passing the ball because you're averaging almost twice the yards per play now okay you can offset that a little bit by the fact that there's a higher threat of turning the ball over doing that but we are heading by like i am genuinely waiting for somebody to re-bring out the idea that if you put the ball in the air three things can happen and two of them are bad oh god like when did that that was like in the 1960s or 50s or whatever the hell it was that's that's a half century old um, aphorism that has been long since left in the primordial ooze, and yet well, for some reason there's a section of humanity analyzing football games that appear to be saying, you know what, this world out here on dry land, it's too scary, I'm going to go back into the soup, because that's where <laughs> I understand everything. We'll talk about it more, because uh, Seattle really did try to establish the run quite a bit. Let's go game by game, Sam. We've got the Colts and the Texans, 21-7 to Colts victory over the Texans. It felt like it was a bigger margin of defeat the Colts really did uh, control this game from start to finish Um, I thought that the Colts I mean I when you look back at it I thought the Colts offense did a really nice job and they still only scored 21 but they but their uh, Andrew Luck led scary offense the offensive line wasn't as good as people think but um, Luck was spectacular and that offense could be scary yeah, they scored them all in the first half, though, right? They were like 21 Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. They didn't score as – the Texans' defense did a pretty nice job in the second half. In the first half, you could see, and I did uh, tweet about this on Saturday, uh, the Texans, J.J. Watt got inside pressure a couple times, Clowney got inside pressure, or the Texans would stunt up front, and Luck did a fantastic job of getting outside the pocket. The Texans did a very poor job of playing contain with their pass rush lanes. Luck would get outside the pocket, where he's, da- you know, he's dangerous inside or outside, and he made a few – uh, a few big throws there. And then in crunch time, corner route along the sideline. I mean, Luck, this was one of the best games he played all season. One of the best quarterbacks uh, performances we've seen all season. Yeah, we highlighted one of the sort of matchups to watch heading into this game was T.Y. Hilton going up against Kareem Jackson, who had had this career year out of nowhere, having started the season at safety, transitioned to corner, played really su- surprisingly and incredibly well at corner. Not in this game. No. He got exposed pretty badly by T.Y. Hilton and others um, and was a major problem. So can I – this is going to be tricky because you can't – this is the black and white world we live in, Steve, and you can't say one thing without going in direct opposition of the other. But the love surrounding Quentin Nelson is beginning to get a little bit nauseating. Yeah, He was good in this game, not amazing, spectacular, mind-blowing because one play he buried Jadevian Clowney. Like, he actually got given a performer of the weekend, on, like at halftime of Sunday Night Football, by Rodney Harrison or Tony Dungy, one of those guys, because the Colts didn't allow a sack, which is, you know, you on, go, so all it's of all them. Quentin Nelson. It's on everybody, not Quentin Nelson. 
They rush for 200 yards, again, kind of on everyone, not just Quentin Nelson. And on this one highlight play, he buried Jadevian Clowney. Like, look, he's good, he's talented, and he loves himself a teabagging. But I, honestly, I think the more impressive performance from a rookie in this game on the offensive line was from Braden Smith, who went one-on-one with J.J. Watt most of the game and did give up some pressure, but now in two games against Watt this season, both in the last, what, six weeks, Braden Smith has allowed one sack, one hit, and three hurries, which is a really good performance that's, that's against J.J. Watt by anybody, let yeah. alone a rookie right tackle who was a guard in college. That's been one of the real stories of the season. When you think about um, you know, the Colts' offensive line and how they've improved, Mark Lewinsky at the other guard spot has improved, Quentin Nelson got named first-team All-Pro. So I just want to, congratu- first off, congratulate him for making all pro for the next 10 years. Yeah. Because it's automatic now. It is. He's, he's going to have it. And um, you're right. It's tough to. We it's could tough have had to, 10 minutes on the all pro system to kick this podcast off. That would have been fun. Maybe we'll do a whole separate uh, video discussion. Maybe on the couch. Bonus. Get on the couch. Bonus, bonus show. Bonus show. Um, we could have a bonus podcast. See if people want Ranting it. about the all pro list. Yes. We could do a good rant about the all pro. Because we have been in contact with the All-Pro people. We've tried to... Help them. Help them. We've tried to resolve the issues. Not, and by the way, this isn't us like here patronizingly. Take our help. You're so obviously in need of it. This is All-Pro voters coming to us and saying, please help us. Right. Because we are currently unable to determine where players play. Because the final... We need your help to give a final say. The final output is just silly. Yeah. Having guys on multiple positions. Anyway, bonus show. Well, bonus not... show. We'll talk about the All-Pro. Yeah. But yeah, so look, Quentin Nelson's really good, but it's kind of what happens. Um, I, f- I do feel like we've helped bridge the gap a little bit where people didn't used to be able to talk about offensive line play and we've been able to add some context to it but when you get a guy like quentin nelson we love quentin nelson we're trying to be nuanced here yes this we, is what i'm saying he's we love played him. well just yes. you know come on let's rein it in a little bit he was not the best player in the game he was not the one guy you should be singling out from that performance andrew luck was I, I, I was just looking at the stats because sometimes i don't even look at the stats sometimes i just look i watch the game i look at the grades and i'm like all right yeah that matches up with what i saw Andrew Luck was spectacular. This is actually the first time I looked at his stats that didn't look that great. Um, he had a batted pass for an interception, um, only two touchdowns, completed 19 of 32, but just made some spectacular throws, including, again, that corner route under pressure, uh, you know, late in the game to kind of seal the deal when they needed to, when they needed it. But it was like Luck faced pressure early in the game. So part of the offensive line looking good and not giving up a sack was Luck handling pressure extremely well early in the game? Those are those examples of him breaking out of the pocket um, early in the game. He made a couple a couple nice throws there. So um, only went two for seven under pressure, but for 54 yards, so including one of those those big passes. Speaking of random stats that you just didn't know happened until you looked at it, did you know that Ben Roethlisberger passed for almost 5,200 yards this season? I, so I had seen that, yeah, because I was keeping up with the basic. Two guys went over 5,000 this year. Yeah. Him and Mahomes. Yeah, Roethlisberger, we talked about him last week, but just a random uh, random year of uh, variance, high variance for, uh, for Big Ben. Let's discuss the other side of the ball here. Deshaun Watson a- against this Colts defense because, um, you know, part of my takeaway coming in to this game was look at the AFC, look at this, look at the future of the quarterback position. But um, Watson, we mentioned coming in too, had – some high-end games. If you put his high-end games against Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes and anyone else in the league, he was up there this year, but his low-end games were much lower than any of the top guys. No one 
in our top five or eight quarterbacks had games as as poor, as bad as Watson, and he was on the bad end of things. Yeah, I mean, on Saturday, this is again not to not to pat myself on the back too much, but we'd said that this offense had been Deshaun Watson to New Hopkins and nothing else, and that should not be enough to win games, particularly if you're actually going to try and take that away, which is basically what the Colts did. Um, huge credit to Pierre Desir, who himself has had another one of those random career years out of nowhere, kind of like Kareem Jackson, only this one sustained itself in the playoffs. Pierre Desir was the guy that was one-on-one with New Hopkins for a lot of this game and actually won. You know, often when you, often when you have one-on-one wide receiver cornerback matchups, it's something of a wash and could go either way. I would say Pierre Desir comfortably won this encounter one-on-one with Hopkins, which probably nobody other than him has done this season. Um, Jalen Ramsey and Hopkins have gone back and forth. I think you could call those ones a wash or, you know, a win for both guys depending on which point in the game. But Pierre Desir won this uh, encounter, and when you did take away that, that connection, the Colts still didn't, or the Texans still had nothing else. It was those two. It basically forced uh, Watson to the the only place he could make or with his legs were running. Um, and that's just not enough. So it was exactly what we said, that if you only have one thing in your offense and that one thing gets taken away, you need something else. And if but you don't all, have it, it was all Tampa too. Over. Yeah. It was Pierre Desir. Yeah, he did a great job. Played really well. Um, so, yeah, the Colts, the Colts defensively have, have really come a long way. And, you know, to just be clear, too, people are like, ah, Tampa 2 defense is back and all this stuff. These were the two highest cover 2 slash Tampa 2 defenses in the NFL. But even a high percentage cover 2 defense plays it about 30% of the time. So it's not you're out there just playing soft zone all of the time. I thought the Colts did do a nice job of mixing it up. Um, I do think the best defenses are doing a nice job of kind of crowding the line of scrimmage a little bit, creating a little bit of indecision for the offense. Is there going to be, even if they don't blitz a lot, there's the disguise of a blitz. I thought the Colts did that pretty well. Um, and yeah, I think we've said, look, Watson's going to be scary, I think, when you get more people around him. Yeah, and by the way, that number you mentioned for the cover two thing, Tampa two thing, that's not even a Tampa two specific thing. Most teams don't play any coverage more than about 30% of the time. Yeah, right. Like if, right. if there's one takeaway from sort of modern NFL coverages is that everybody is running a lot of things. Yeah. Nobody is running one thing every single down. Again, that's back to what we said about balance. Balance is the ability uh, to keep it or keep the opposition from knowing exactly what it is you're showing them every play. Right. Like if a team, doesn't matter what the coverage is, whether it's cover one, cover three, cover two, cover four, if you're running one thing every single play, everybody knows how to beat it. You need to change up what you're doing, and that's what everybody's doing. So the Colts run more Tampa 2 slash cover 2 than pretty much anybody else, and there are other teams that run cover 3, cover 1, whatever, more than anybody else. By the way, for anyone that doesn't know the difference between Tampa 2 and cover 2, it's pretty minimal. It's the same coverage, essentially, only when... This defense was really prevalent back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tony Dungy. They realized that one of the biggest holes in this defense was the gap between the two safeties. The deep middle. Right. They developed this wrinkle where the middle linebacker essentially had to drop really deep, split those two safeties, allow those guys to play wider, 
and the middle linebacker was the guy that essentially occupied that gap in the middle that had been a problem before that. So it's essentially the same defense, just with a little bit of a modification in there. So if I could sum up the story of the game here, just looking at our numbers and grades, Andrew Luck, passing grade of 92.3. Deshaun Watson, passing grade of 44.8. Look good, Watson bad. Yes, and more specifically, Andrew Luck with five big-time throws, no turnover-worthy throws because that batted pass, as we say, is not a batted pass gets intercepted 3% of the time. So it's not a turnover-worthy play. But Deshaun Watson, let me finish, Sam. I know you're, you're just itching to say something. I'm just, you know, as long as you're going to go off about, you know, crazy, stupid things people are saying. Oh, is there more? Oh, yeah, there's more. Okay, one more. Well, let me just finish my thought real okay, quick. Go, go, I'll let you go. I'll go, let you. Go. People think we hate each other, but we're, we're good friends. We're good friends off, off, the, off camera here most of the time. Deshaun Watson, no big-time throws. Two turnover-worthy throws, including that terrible one on fourth down. The, the Texans, this game's not as bad if they convert a couple of those early first downs that they're going for, but one of them, Watson completely misreads the coverage, throws it right to a linebacker on fourth down. I mean, there was just some bad oh, fourth yeah. down plays for the Texans, too, that made this probably feel a little bit worse as well. So What's another one of uh, <laughs> another boogerism, as we're going to start calling them, or at least I am right now. Um, Booger was upset that J.J. Watt batted a pass down because it's not his job as a pass rusher to do that, even though one of them yeah. actually ended up as an interception, and the other one obviously is a good play anyway. Yes. Like, I wish I had the exact quote. I can't find it right now. But, yeah, he was basically upset J.J. Watt batted a pass at the line. <laughs> and you can't even contain uh, yourself now. No. I batted, mean, batted, batted, well, we're on the numbers on batted passes because I'm, I'm pretty sure to like. check if they're good. Something like one, you know, two, 2% of them are completed as passes. <laughs> 3% of them turn into interceptions. Yeah. And then the, uh, you know, 94% of them fall incomplete, which most of the time for the defense is considered a win. I think that's worse than it doesn't matter. The yardage is a bonus. Just just keep pounding the rock. I think what <laughs> shouldn't be batting that ball because it's not his job is actually a worse comment than the other one. Sometimes, no, look, I'm not even going to defend him. That's what I'm saying, right? Is he trying so to say that, like, that's it's better difference. to have sacks? He's just trying to say it's better to rush the pass. That's the difference between this and the other one, right? The other one is at least close enough to the mainstream to have a bunch of other people saying, yeah, I agree. That's exactly my sentiments as well. Nobody is backing this up. Nobody is going, you're right. He shouldn't be backing that pass down. You should just concentrate on rushing the passer. That's how I, that's how I did this. Is. All right. We'll look forward to the uh, Colts-Chiefs game on our Thursday podcast. And look, I think that uh, we'll get into it more then, but I do think the Colts, when you talk about the Chiefs' weakness being on defense, yeah. the the Colts are a dangerous team because they just, you know, to beat the Chiefs, you need a quarterback that can, that can go blow for blow with Mahomes. And you get the zone-heavy defense with the Colts that's supposedly supposed to limit big plays and all that stuff. So it is an interesting matchup for I the mean, Chiefs that yeah. we'll get into on Thursday. The Chiefs, because their defense is so bad, everybody is a dangerous matchup for them. Do we have uh, breaking news here? No, I had the, uh, the booger thing. Oh, the quote? Yeah. Um, what exactly did he say? Ah, sure. Let's, yeah, play, let's it. play Let's it. play the let's Booger play quote. Booger. Oh, we're going to play Booger. This, could this be is amazing. great. We're very high tech here. This is great. We could do this. We're uh, very high we tech do just as long as that cable stretches far enough in order for us to be able to do yeah, this. Yeah, we're going to work on our communication. and all, We're getting there. But yeah. uh, we're scratching the surface of professionalism here on the PFF NFL podcast. Hat tip to David. Hat tip. David Ashbrock. He is our, um, he set up our... Our studio, studio everything. Right. Everything you guys Set are looking at. Set up the entire place. Here. He's like an actual you know, tech pro 
a guy who knows how to set up studios and all that kind of stuff and is constantly trying to get us more and more professional. <laughs> and then every time he takes a look at the kind of half-assed things we're doing here, it's like we're just scratching the surface of professionalism scratching here Scratching the surface. So that's, let's, that's what we're doing here. Let's start discussing the Saturday night game while Matt's getting this set up. Okay, so it was Seattle at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, this one brought a lot of good... Um, he just plugged something in, by the way, Sam. Yeah, I, I heard, heard it. Plug it. I'm nervous. Does that mean we need to get the headphones? I am off very nervous Devin? about what the volume is going to be like when he plays this. Yeah, we have not. This is a mistake. Matt has a history of firing <laughs> through deafening sounds. I lost twenty percent of my right ear. Yeah, hearing wise, that one day he just. Uh, I mean, I didn't know. So you know the way that your body has got two different types of uh, like reactions to them, right? One of them is entirely involuntary. There's a system of reactions. I can't remember what the name for it is, but there's like... The one Kirk Cousins is bad at? There's like a hardwiring system in your body that's just 100% involuntary. Like breathing, right? You don't need to think about it. It just happens. This, when he injected that volume through our ears, like completely involuntary, I launched the headphones off my head with my hands and yelped out in audible pain. That was 100% involuntary. No thought about it whatsoever. We both both (laughs) jumped. We're good? All right. Now we can play. We have our booger. What did booger say? I'm just, just I, I get it, J.J. Watt batting balls, but guess what? They don't pay you as a defensive lineman to bat balls. He's got to get to the quarterback. Great job. Yeah. Get your hands up. But as a defensive lineman, he's been three times. I get it, batting balls, but you know what? <laughs> just get to the quarterback. Come on, man. Come on, man. I like Booger. I spoke to him uh, a little bit on the phone. He was very interested in PFF data over the last couple of years. Um, some of this stuff. I mean, I would say all of it to his face. He's a very nice guy, but he says yes. crazy things yeah, on that's on how I want to preface it. I would say it to his face. Booger, I think you need to... Well, you're big enough to say it to his face. I'd need a distance between me and up. him to be saying it to his face. I'm gonna, we're going to need you to not say things like batted passes are bad. I'd or say it to paid. his face from across the room. Like, like, so, in a vacuum, yes. If you had a season where you had zero pressures and you had 10 batted passes, that's a bad season. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, I mean, if you had ten sacks and zero other pressures, that's actually a bad season. If you're like not rushing the passer specifically to just hang around at the line of scrimmage and try and bat balls, and that's all you're doing. Now that would just, be bad. Now we're creating fake arguments right. to try to justify. But JJ so Watt doing, isn't doing that. JJ Watt is awesome. rushing the passer and Still. is really good at understanding when to get his hands up and bat the pass down. Right. And so then the one is, batted pass led to an actual yes turnover. So just. Bad, 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 bad. Don't say it. All right, let's discuss uh, Seattle and Dallas. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about Seattle, but we probably will because there's a whole philosophical discussion here. What are they doing offensively? Where do they feel like they failed offensively? Let's start at least with Dallas, though. And Can I start with actually start? the PFF Green Line nailed this score 100%? Yeah, they did, huh? 24-22. Good job, Green Line. It's not the first time. I haven't figured out how many times it's done that, but I know there was a... Thursday night game a few weeks ago that it nailed the score 100% as well. Good job, Green Line. All part of uh, PFF Elite for your game picks. Uh, Dallas, you know, this was a game where we talked about their defense being capable of, of slowing down teams. I mean, I think a lot of it was game plan driven by the Seahawks. I mean, they were run, run, pass, run, run, pass for the majority of this game. Uh, very systematic, trying to establish the run. Dallas did a great job of stopping the run. Uh, and then they just, you know, Seattle puts a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson on third and long. Um, let me just say, I guess we're going to get into the Seattle philosophy. Coaches run the ball on early downs essentially for two reasons that you hear, right? It's to establish the run, set up play action, but also to take pressure off the quarterback, right? 
there is no more pressure on the quarterback than two straight runs and then being in third and seven over and over and over again. And that was this game. You are allowed to try to pick up a first down on first and second down. That is allowed. And I do think too many offensive coordinators get into this idea of let's just get to a manageable third down when you could actually move the ball on first down. And every time Seattle did run play action and stretch the ball down the field and Russell Wilson was making spectacular throws. So I don't know. Do we credit the Cow- Cowboys fans? Let's get Cowboys fans riled up. Do we credit the Cowboys defense on this or do we blame Seattle in their ultra conservative offense? Uh, here's the thing, right? I don't know that they actually did what we think they did as much as we think they did it, if that made any sense. Um, it's just that when they did it, it invariably failed. If you actually look... Who, at, Seattle? Yeah. If you actually look at their splits of run pass, run pass on first down, run pass after a first down, they're actually more pass heavy than they were run heavy. They didn't just do this What'd you run, do run, the two pass on third and long. Did yes. you take out two uh, No, drill? I took it out. They didn't do it as much as we think they did it. It's just that when they did it, it was spectacularly bad and failed immediately. So the whole thing looks like the Browns offense that was being run earlier in the season where Baker Mayfield was just like, run for nothing, run for nothing. Here's third and 12, Baker. Have fun. Yeah, It's kind of what it looked like here. But they, I don't think they actually did it as much as it looks like they did it. It's just that it, it just looked so terrible when they did. Um, I think overall, though, so the overall point is that this Seattle team, this Seattle offensive performance and this Seattle play-calling performance is exactly what they've done all season long. Um, and that in and of itself is worthy of discussion as to whether that is a positive thing, right? Because they're essentially running this offense that tries to protect Russell Wilson, who is probably one of the quarterbacks out there that really doesn't need protecting. He's shown that. Like, this isn't a guy that has had a career of play that, you know, warrants protection. This is a guy that's carried this offense for years. He has. I will say, though, um, and I've heard... I've heard this from NFL people, too. I'm going to drop an NFL people oh, yeah. on you. There, and, and you see this with your eyes. There are a certain number of games. We always talk about quarterbacks who have certain games they are really yeah. good, certain games they are really bad. There are certain games where Russell Wilson just misses open receivers just from a read standpoint. Right. There is, I think, a lack of trust in a Russell Wilson versus, say, an Andrew Luck. And I know the Luck-Wilson debate, Colts and Seahawks fans love it. Class of 2012 and, you know, who's better? Both of those guys. They're both great right now. Um, but there is a lack of trust in Russell Wilson in a game-to-game standpoint. And he is spectacular working off of play action and the deep ball and all that stuff. That does play to his game. But it goes back to our initial point. You don't need to cram the ball into the line 25 times just to open up Russell Wilson's deep passing ability on play action. right? So you, can't, you need to trust him and build the offense around him more. But I do think NFL people are more skeptical of him because... He's not going to be this, you know, three-step, three-step, three-step guy and, you know, change the run game for the quick pass game as much as some other quarterbacks. Well, there's, there's two different things there. The first, this idea that you are going to get some Russell Wilson games every year that just stink. And that's true. And that's why he isn't Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or one of the best, very best quarterbacks in the league. That's why he is in the next tier. Yes, because you're still in that top five to eight. Right. You're going to get games where he just sucks. And that's unfortunate, but that's him. Right. The problem is you can't you can't devise the entire offense around the off chance that you get one of those clangers every week. Right. That seems to be a thing of 
let's have our game plan, and if we get to the second quarter and it turns out Russell's having one of those days, let's make some changes. You can't change the entire thing off the, the fact that sooner or later he's going to do that because Ben Roethlisberger has those games. And I actually think Roethlisberger is probably a good Russell Wilson comp because he will make a lot of bad throws, but he makes more than enough good throws to offset those, and you live with the bad to, deal, to get the good. And the, the Andrew Luck debate is interesting because Luck does that as well. It's just that they're not game to game. They're within the same game. Like, Luck will suck for three quarters and then turn it on in the fourth, or he'll be on fire for two and quarters. And Wilson has that in him, And then too. disappear yeah. in the second half. Like, Andrew Luck does exactly the same thing. They just don't, don't go game to game where you get Here's- great luck, bad luck, great luck again. Russell Wilson will do it game to game. Um, but the other thing I would say is that he is a different style of quarterback, so you can't necessarily just plug him into this Frank Reich-type system where everything's coming out quick, the ball is shorter stuff, It's or the, the offenses that Tom Brady has been But that would Drew still Brees be more effective running. than just cramming the ball down the defense's throat. It would, but I game. don't think stylistic. So again, you're looking at this. Can we just plug, can we put that system around him and improve him dramatically the way everybody else does? He will always be... Um, a, a quarterback that a bit like Aaron Rodgers where we're like is he the problem Russell Wilson will always be the architect of some of his own problems because he's comfortable r- actually causing issues and running around the backfield waiting for something to open yeah. up like that's what he does in a way some of these other quarterbacks just don't do so there's a certain type of offense that doesn't necessarily make a huge amount of sense to put him in but None of this is to is make sense, or none of this justifies our, uh, creating a system around him that essentially um, hamstrings him and, and forces him to live only off the run game. So that's the biggest point here, right? the The entire NFL is looking for a top five to eight quarterback. The Seahawks have one, and they're treating him like Blake Bortles. That's that's the issue. Yeah, you build around him. You can't go and say. Oh no, we need to protect Russell Wilson, our quarterback. You take some of you take the good with the bad and just say, look, Russell's gonna, you know, he's gonna miss some reads and he's gonna, you know, make a couple bad decisions. He he didn't have a ton of turnover worthy plays this year, but they were bad ones. But he, he had, had last year. Yeah, I know, but he had he did. But, but the he point was still, is the point is you take those, right? The yes, other of guy course. that had a huge amount of them last year was Roethlisberger, and he was fantastic. And Wilson has you know, he had the highest percentage of big-time throws this year. He's always up there in big-time throws. So he's going to offset them, right? He's just a volat- He's a more volatile quarterback than people probably think. You know, when you the- think Jameis, Roethlisberger, you think volatile, good and bad. You don't think that with Russell Wilson, but he actually is that kind of guy. Well, last year he was because the pressure was on him. There have been years where he's been more protected by the running game and has been less volatile. I would say the Roethlisberger comparison is interesting, and there's a, there's a Brady comparison to be made there, too, because, again, we've always been this whole, well, it's not about QB wins, but there's this history of early in Brady's career and early in Roethlisberger's career, they were those true game managers, right? And then th- when, once you took, you know, the, you know, the rain, once you gave them the reins to, like, to run their offense, they both became truly Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Brady and Roethlisberger. Now, Wilson wasn't just a game manager he was spectacular as a rookie but they still had this you know they still had a lot of games where they would win 16 to 10 and you know 16 to 13 they still had a lot of defensive minded games there still needs to be that point in Russell Wilson's career where it's build around him he's capable he's like Roethlisberger and Brady went from game manager for a year or two to the guy 
and then they have one of the best offenses in the NFL, both of them. The point generally is that Wilson is, should be that there's guy. There's no excuse that justifies treating um, treating Russell Wilson as a rookie quarterback that must be protected at all costs. He has more than shown in the past that he is capable of shouldering the load of an offense. So let him do it. So here's what I tweeted the other night, and you know maybe not enough not enough people saw it because it was late night. But I could see Seattle looking at the two last two years and saying. In 2017, they had no run game. There was way too much pressure on Russell Wilson. He was, you know, he was creating all of their touchdowns, and they didn't make the playoffs. In 2018, they were the, mo- the most run-heavy team besides the Lamar Jackson Ravens, but overall the most run-heavy team, especially on first and second down, and they made the playoffs. And they ran their system to perfection as far as run, 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 pass. But the problem with that, as we've talked about, is that is an unsustainable model. And I do think it plays with coaches' heads – because they think about the perfect game that they played. And for the Seahawks, for the Seahawks, it was this year against the Detroit Lions. They, they carried the ball 42, 45 times. They passed 17 times. When it works, when the run game is that effective, and then Wilson goes 14 for 17 passing, like, hello, Terry Bradshaw Steelers in the 70s. Like, that's beautiful. That's, that's great football. It happens once a year. It happens twice a year. And if you're playing, if you're game planning for that level of perfection – you're going to have a game like the other night where you're just pounding the ball into a brick wall when Russell Wilson should have been the guy. The other argument I've seen people make is um, three times this season, Russell Wilson has passed the ball 40 or more times in a game. They were week one and two and week nine against the Chargers. So week nine against the the Chargers, they lost. They lost all three. But week nine against the Chargers, who just beat the Ravens and are now going to the divisional round of the playoffs – Pretty good side, I think we can agree. Week one and two was at Denver, who you know are a completely different team at home than they are on the road. They scored 24 points, 24-27. It was close, and they lost. No shame in losing on the road to Denver. Week two, at Chicago. Again, like a pretty good team yeah. to be dealing with on the road, particularly after you've just had another road game at week one. So, okay, they're 0-3, and that's not good, but is that a... Is that causation or correlation? Like, did they just lose three tough games against three really good opponents, two of which were on the road, or is that the reason they lost those games? I would argue it's not the reason they lost them. Yeah, and look, there, there's an extreme viewpoint here. Most quarterbacks, so if you look at the league, and this is another, my Brady apologist you know, comes out again, but if you look at the league when they throw the ball 40-plus times or 50-plus times, the records are horrible because, yes, you're generally playing catch-up or whatever at the end. Brady's like the only quarterback in history that has a good record when he throws 50-plus. And he's also the only quarterback that is actually like game-planned to throw the ball that much. So we're not asking Russell Wilson to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game. But certainly more than, eight, than, tw- than 30 dropbacks. Certainly more than 30 dropbacks. Certainly more on second down. You know? And if you just replace the, short pass, the run game with the short passing game, we just use the yards, for, yards per attempt figure, that's, you know... The short passing game is going to be more effective than the run game, and Wilson's still going to be effective off a of play action. So, um, I so I think I think Seattle looked at this year, and um, the other thing that I said, you know, I think teams the biggest mistake that they make when they're building a team is when they overreact to their most recent season. So this was Seattle saying there was way too much pressure on Russell Wilson. We need to run the ball sixty percent of the time, and that's what they did this year, and and it did get them to a point. I just think it's such an unsustainable model. It's very unsustainable for the Jaguars because they've got a Blake Bortles that they have to protect the whole time. 
Um, it's more sustainable for Seattle because Russell Wilson can bail them out, but you still don't want to put him in third and long every single time. So that's the issue. Yeah. Also, Jacksonville's run game sucks despite having this, all the well, investment in it. Well, that's the, that's, so that's the other part of this, right? The 2017 Jaguars run game was pretty efficient overall, and this year they regressed back. So if Seattle tries to run this again next year, there's a good chance that the run game regresses and it looks ugly, whereas you can count on Russell Wilson in the pass game to be more stable, and you have to put the ball in his hands a little bit more. Let's talk about the Cowboys a little bit. Um, starting with Dak, you know, he was very inconsistent. There was, I love, nothing sums up Dak, and I tweeted this out too, and everybody's like, yep, that's Dak's career. He overthrows a fade into like the third row and then drops a perfect fade in the next pass for the touchdown. Yeah. So you get away with the touchdown, which is great, but that sums up Dak's career. You've got, you know, ridiculous misses followed by uh, just a beautiful throw. He made some really key plays down the stretch. Also kind of sums up the, uh, the end zone fade. Yeah, kind of does. It's just not not a high percentage play. You're going to have to take a few shots at it. It hits about 33% of the time. So if you're dedicated to it and you run it on first, second, and third down over time. Yeah, like, you know that play, the goal line play where teams just run into the gut four times? Like, if you just did that for the fade, you'd probably get one of them. Right. right? But over time, it's it's a risky one. Dak made the huge play with his legs down the stretch, too. You got a QB draw in, what, third and 14 that he converted? This is huge play. This was Zeke's game, though. The Cowboys loaded up Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott, on the ground. Twenty-six carries, one hundred and thirty-seven yards, seventy-eight of which came after contact. A couple of broken tackles in there, and this was nice because he ended up with a really good PFF grade for this game because Zeke was a big part of that success. It wasn't all the offensive line opening up huge holes. Um, there wasn't a caveat. It was like yes, but. He blew this protection for a sack that cost him a game. Or yes, but he fumbled the ball. This was a good Zeke LA performance without a caveat and without a real amount of help from the offensive line. So therefore, he got a really good PFF grade in the game. Um, which is nice because over the season, he's had all these great stats. He, the, he was the rushing champion, right? The yeah, top another stat guy. I don't really look at, but I'm pretty sure he had it. Right. So he was the rushing leader. Therefore, he should have been the top graded running back at PFF. But he wasn't. His, his grade at PFF was dramatically lower. His rank, um, I think it's in the 20s now. A, a lot of the people above him are guys with a lot fewer carries, so it's not like an apples-to-apples apples comparison. You can weed out probably 10, 15 of those guys who have dramatically lower playing time. Um, we're grading a sort of efficiency rather than outright production. Um, but the point is, Zeke's grade has been a lot worse than his stats would indicate because he's done a lot of bad things in there as well that don't necessarily get highlighted. His blocking has been poor. He had twice the number of fumbles as any other running back, even though I think he only lost one of them or two of them. Um, so That's they called luck. Right, so they haven't shown up as well. But this was, I think this was a nice um, kind of point to that is that, yeah, okay, our grades are way lower on Zeke than you might think. There's reason for them. And look, here's evidence that we don't just hate Zeke. When he grades well, when he does the good things and doesn't screw up, we grade him well. And if the run game's really good, it is helpful. I mean, we don't hate the run game. <laughs> it's more so anything, if you do anything well, it's helpful. It's more the percentages that it will be productive yeah. that is the issue. Because so, so Zeke runs for all those yards. He did a great job. They split him up pretty evenly 14 carries in the first half, 15 in the second half. And uh, 56 yards after contact in the second half. Had a couple big runs, that stiff arm from hell and everything. So um, he did make things effective. Um, still came down to a couple big plays 
that Dak made. Key red zone throw, the key run on third and long. And he got away from – the uh, Dak had that one red zone interception, which was really close to pass interference, but a really nice play by KJ Wright. I mean, it was pass interference. We just decided it was close enough that we don't care in the playoffs. Yeah, those are tough. I don't those quite are tough. understand that argument that – and I've heard it's not just I can't remember who was it Mike Pereira was that official at the time um, I've heard it from multiple guys over the past few weeks they've been like yeah I mean uh, it's it's a bang bang play so we're you know yeah maybe he was early but it's a bang bang play so who cares essentially was the line I don't understand I think he's more trying to say it's tough to see in real time no no that's not what he's saying because they're saying they were replaying it at the time they were reviewing it they were saying well yeah it's a bang bang play you can't review pass interference but they were reviewing the score right yeah of course but you can't change you can't say oh actually on the play it was pass interference you can't do that but his argument is that because it was a bang bang play we don't really it's close enough that we let it go that's kind of the whole point of all this is that sure you could say that about pretty much every play called down at the one as well i mean yeah it's tough to see that so quickly live so screw it yeah that's i mean no that's not the point point is to get these right and if he's early, he's early. It doesn't matter that he's close. Yeah. Now, the alternative view is that that was a bad pass behind the player that actually was almost the underthrown defensive pass interference. Oh, trust me. I would have hit it. That was a bad throw. Which was... we've campaigned before. just shouldn't be pass interference. That'd be my biggest which argument point, for it. That, if that was your argument, it's a bad pass and we're not going to bail out with the penalty, I'm all on board. But the argument that it was close, so... Let's 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 let it run. Oh no, I'm uh, I'm all for not rewarding Dak for that throw. Uh, Dak uh, played pretty well, or at least the results were pretty good. Other than that throw from a clean pocket, 16 of 20 for 178, um, only under pressure on 14 out of 34 dropbacks. Uh, Cowboys defense, so we have to give them some credit, right? For this, yeah. it's not just game plan oriented by the Seahawks, but the Cowboys defense remain one of those teams. That is uh, that is dangerous defensively, but as we saw with the Bears, you can't just sit there and rely on your defense. The offense is a huge factor. The uh, Cowboys' highest-graded players, both linebackers, Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith, continuing to play extremely well. Leighton Vander Esch had eight stops in this game, which is an insane number. Jalen with four. Look at the defensive line stops. Demarcus Lawrence had four. To, uh, he had four. Malik Collins had three. Antoine Woods, he had a couple of huge plays against the run. He had three stops, so there was... The front seven for Dallas just made a whole bunch of plays. So when we talk about Seattle running the ball a lot, staying off schedule, credit Dallas for keeping them off schedule. Let's get to the Sunday games. Started yesterday, Los Angeles Chargers beating the Baltimore Ravens 23-17. to I think the story here is, of course, uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens offense. They get slowed down until the fourth quarter. And then what the Chargers did defensively, Seven defensive backs on mo- the majority of their snaps. A completely different look. Tony Romo was talking about it. I saw some uh, some of the numbers. We have some of the numbers, too, that, that came out after the game. You just don't see teams going with four defensive linemen and seven defensive backs. Yeah, well, that's so weird. It doesn't even have a name, right? There's no monetary value to attach to that. It's not nickel, dime. It's just it's below quarter. Right. Well, it's quarter. What is that? Quarter. Quarter? Quarter D. Is it? Yeah. That's really? what it's been in Madden for years, too. Madden? I think Belichick's run this before. but they, So the Chargers were legitimately putting... They, so they didn't change their scheme at all. So here's the interesting thing. They run cover three. And essentially what cover three is doing... Yeah, so you're playing the three deep zones. You have four underneath zones. But 
you have four you have eight guys in the box you usually have your, your two your strong safety and an outside linebacker they're what we call the overhang players they're playing in the box so you get that run stop look but the unique part about this is the chargers took their two inside linebackers and made them safeties it was generally Jaleel Adai and Adrian Phillips who played legitimate linebacker when you had Derwin James outside at strong safety you had Desmond King outside playing strong safety Right, seven defensive backs. This wasn't a take a linebacker and put him down as a sort of dime linebacker position. This was a we are replacing our linebackers with defensive backs. Yeah, we're playing play. a four three schematically. Yeah, but the three linebackers are going to be all safeties. Right, we're just going to change who's doing it. Or one of one of one's actually a corner, Desmond I mean, King. They this had a was, corner playing safety. This was exactly what we said heading into this game, which is what happens the first time a team gets a second look at this Ravens offense, which is what we're talking about here. Every single team they've played so far with this Lamar run-heavy offense, it's been the first time they've seen it. And when you have to see something for the first time, it changes everything you do. Because even if you watched it on tape and you've understood theoretically how to deal with it, it's different when it lines up in front of you and you have to think split seconds and you have to make those adjustments on the fly. And every single team, they've had problems because of that. The Chargers are the first team to get a second look at it, and we were saying, what is that going to do? Does that force Lamar Jackson to have to do something else if they figured out a way to slow down that run game? And that's exactly what happened. They had figured out a way to slow down the run game. Essentially, their game plan was to do exactly the same thing, only replace the linebackers with players Lamar can't outrun. Which is interesting, because if you're trying to stop a run-first team, you generally think, well, get more linebackers out there, get more guys who are adept at taking on blocks and all that stuff. Uh, but I think a big part of this in stopping any run-heavy attack, the reason why a Lamar Jackson run-heavy attack works is because he's the extra guy that you have to account for. You literally need eight people in the box. So the way you account for that, because at some point he's going to get one-on-one and he might be able to make a guy miss and it's still tough to stop, the defensive line has to win. And yeah. to me, this is the biggest reason that the Chargers won. Schematically, it was fun and all to see all the safeties playing linebacker and it was unique. And we'll talk about, will they actually do that against New England? Because those same guys could probably be better stopping the pass. But you have Melvin Ingram, who just straight dominated in the run game. Derwin James made a bunch of plays behind him. But as far as D-line goes, Darius uh, Phylon made a few plays. Melvin Ingram made a bunch of plays. Damian Square. Justin Jones comes in, has one of his best games of his young career. The defensive line for the Chargers just made a ton of plays against the run. They did not get blocked that well. And if you watch the film... Those linebackers who are actually safeties were pretty clean most of the time. They didn't have a whole bunch of you know, linemen getting to the second level, and that's where the risk comes in. Because if you have those two little safeties there, if you get a Marshall Yonda at the second level, you get those offensive linemen at the second level, they're going to get destroyed, and big run plays you know, can come about. But um, I thought the D-line for the Chargers was fantastic, and I think that's a big story there. But if you look at it schematically, they didn't do anything differently on the passing plays. It's cover three. It was zone. Lamar just missed a ton of throws, and his pocket presence was essentially atrocious, kept fumbling, and uh, we charged him with three out of the seven sacks where he either held the ball too long or drifted into, into pressure. And that's the other story is the fumbles, is that this game started to get out of control because they kept fumbling the ball. No, I think I had a quote about that. control of it. I think I said that was what I – I think we have to go back and find out. I think on the preview podcast I said that's what would determine the outcome and why I picked the Chargers. Did you pick the Ravens still? Yeah, went with the home team. Oh, that was silly. 
Yeah, it didn't work out that well. This was the one that the closer towards the game I got, the less I liked the fact that I picked Baltimore. Remember we said every game's a road game for the Chargers. It doesn't matter where they play. Yeah, which yeah. apparently uh, their record on the road and in Eastern time zone is insane this Straight. year. Bucking the trend. The, the Eastern time zone thing is not important. The distance travel, maybe. But apparently they're bucking that as they well. they got to do it again. they got to do um, it again next week. But So the, the turnovers were a major issue, or fumbling with ball was a major issue. Um, the Chargers bottled up that run game pretty effectively and did show them something different. And when you force Lamar Jackson to be a passing quarterback, he wasn't able to get it done for three quarters. Now he turned it on a little bit towards the end. They got it close, um, but wasn't enough. And honestly, the so <laughs> like the one good thing is that John Har- Harbaugh and the Ravens don't have access to social media during the game and didn't get to see the clamoring for Joe Flacco that was happening from like the second quarter onwards. Like the Which is amazing, right? Which was growing in amplification and intensity on social media to say, well, they've got to put Flacco in now. After halftime, we're gonna say, Lamar, you get one drive to see if you settle down, otherwise Joe's going in the game. Like I honestly think that was almost entirely manufactured. I don't know that the Ravens were ever really considering doing that. And I don't even know if it registered that much with them. Like they've made this decision. Lamar is our quarterback. I don't think they were ever close to saying, Flacco, it's your time, son. Warm up. I mean, the this only time, bad. I think the only time you would actually make that decision is maybe in the fourth quarter when it's like, all right, it's definitely, we, they know we're passing. We can't run our same game plan, but they were still within two scores right. in the half. I don't, so the, I just, and then they were within yeah. one score at one point, right? So, I don't think they ever got anywhere near that point. I think that was 100% manufactured with social media hysteria. Um, which is why they seem kind of shocked by it after the game that people were bringing this up. Like someone asked Flacco about it. He's like, no, I mean, don't even go there. Like it was never a thing. This yeah. is Lamar's team. That's fine. I'm just, you know, and he almost got it done. Whatever. And Lamar, you know, he made those nice, you know, pretty nice throws in the fourth quarter. But again, I think this sums him up, right? Yes. He missed so many for three quarters. You never know. Essentially, you never know when the misses are going to happen. In yeah. this game, they, they happened for the first three quarters, essentially. Bad decisions and just general inaccuracy. Um, but even the touchdowns, the touchdown that Crabtree scored behind Casey Hayward, that was just a weird play by Casey Hayward, who just kind of stopped and nice throw to hit Crabtree on the deep ball, and then he looped that one over Derwin, who took a shot and That's one mistimed that, it. Yeah, it goes down as this incredible play, and yet it's one of those plays that is it's so close to being terrible. Like It's like those Kirk Cousins plays we talked about before, where it's like, okay, that's, it's ended up great, but like, honestly, that might be a worse play than it is a good one when you look at it. Like, this was such a floated, um, it was up there for an eternity, and if the defensive back just plays it a little bit better, it's a pick. Right. But, so, I think that that final quarter was so important for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens this offseason, not because it got them back into the game or because they had a chance to win it, but because if he had completely been terrible, if he had been in the fourth quarter the same way as he was for the first three, they would have gone the entire offseason with... All right, Lamar is now our quarterback. Now every team is going to have seen him before. Every team is going to be the second year. We're going to, they're going to know how to defend him. And the only evidence we have so far says that when that happens, he can't play. That would have been a nightmare for this team to have to deal with in the offseason. There's Whereas, still a little bit of that, though. There is, but at least now they can point to it and say, okay, it just took him a while. He got warmed up by the fourth quarter, and he can do it. Like, okay, it's not... You know, it's the development. It's all, it's all a journey, Steve. We're all just getting better one step at a time yes. and developing. That way, they, they can at least say that now. If he just stunk for four quarters, that would have been a really tough sell for the entire offseason. 
if you look at it uh, the way that what the Chargers did defensively, right? Lamar had four design carries for eight yards, four design for eight yards, and then four scrambles for forty six yards. Um, so he actually it's usually the reverse. He usually scrambles a couple times, picks up some plays, right. but it's usually the design game where it's like eighteen carries for ninety yards and all that. So it's the it's the design game again with these speedy players that the Chargers were able to shut down. That they completely shut down due to their defensive line, and then if the defensive line wasn't doing it. It was the speed of Derwin James setting the edge and Adrian Phillips and some of their linebackers. And then Gus Edwards, too. He usually benefits from the extra attention that Lamar gets and the good run blocking from the offensive line that wasn't there this particular week. Gus Edwards goes eight carries for 23 yards. He only forced one missed tackle on his own. So you completely shut down. And then Kenneth Dixon in there, six carries for 13. Completely shut down the designed running game. They had 90 rushing yards total. The Ravens, 46 of which came on Lamar scrambles. So, you know, the game plan was fantastic for the Chargers, but I think more so the execution of it and just how well they played up front was was beautiful. Um, we'll look forward to the Chargers-Patriots matchup, but again, I, do, I actually do wonder if a seven-defensive back... Look, they usually throw seven defensive backs out there against pass-heavy off- offenses, teams you want to stop the pass against. That's New England. They want to pass the ball, so I actually wonder if they're going to do this next week. We'll talk about that later. In the week, the really interesting thing about this, though, is that while the Chargers did have this new game plan and did have better success against the Ravens, this game for a large period of time kind of went the same way as it did the first game. The only difference being, so there were a couple of differences. One, they had more success against the Ravens and they forced some turnovers. Two, the Chargers really struggled on offense, but they didn't uh, keep having the penalty that negated third down conversions. So remember right. the first game, they actually they were just about converting, and then every time they did, they'd have a holding penalty, and that's the drive over. Right. Like when you are the Ravens' defense, essentially, what I'm saying is killed Philip Rivers almost to the same degree as they did the first time. It's just that instead of having their third down conversions negated, they actually converted them this time and just about kept their head above water enough to keep chipping over field goals. Yeah, they they uh, pressured. Pressured Philip Rivers on 17 out of 35 dropbacks, and they also, that's actual pressure, you know, getting to him. Right. Passer rating of 52.1, and they also blitzed him on 17 of 35 dropbacks. So they got after him a bunch of zero blitzes, too. Rivers hit that one nice And that's just slightly throw. lower than the percentage the first time. It was like 55% yeah. the first time, and this is, what, 48? So it's, it's in the same ballpark. It's just that the Chargers were able to stop shooting themselves in the foot this time enough to put up some points. And really... This is, again, it's like the the kind of Achilles heel of this type of offense is that when you get down, you have to change the game plan. Right. Because you can't. Well, that's why people can't. were calling for Flacco. Right. And, it and was, look, Lamar played played pretty well in the fourth quarter. I mean, his, his grade could have been much worse if he didn't start making a few throws. It's like the idea that the run and shoot was a bad system because when you got up and you needed to run the ball in the fourth quarter, they couldn't do that. Right. This is the sort of the idea. It's the same thing in reverse. It's this run offense is really interesting. It's good when it works, and it's capable of limiting these high-octane shootout offenses. But if you get down two scores, what do you do? But if you look at the Ravens, though, too, they played well defensively. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They had 2.7 yards per attempt against them and 5 yards per attempt in the passing game against them. Phillip Rivers played better than the numbers would show. But the Ravens did a really nice job cracking down in the red zone, cracking down in scoring territory. They kept the Ravens in the game. And again, this has always been our biggest 
this is what we've been saying all year is that you know the Ravens have a really good defense the Bears have a really good defense which we'll talk about but if the offense it still comes down to the offense needing to make plays more importantly one more reason that the running offense and needing to score quickly becomes a problem um, now more than ever is because the onside kick has been essentially neutered oh my goodness yeah you can't you can't get an onside kick anymore um so it was never exactly a high probability prospect but it was like 20 percent before now they've changed it it's like under eight percent i think you basically you're not getting the onside so you need to score quickly enough that you know you can't the clock becomes a real problem then you have to kick it deep because this idea of we just need two scores we need the we need the touchdown we need the onside we need another touchdown like the onside is not happening. Were injuries so, happening? Like injuries were happening on deep kickoffs, not not onside kicks, right? There's got to be a way to just say, look, old school. You just you declare that you're you're, you're you have a. There's no surprise onside kicks where the rules change. I think, but yeah, for I mean, a de- designated onside kick, it's old school rules. You just do it. The Shiano rule is coming, right? They're eliminating the kickoff. They're going to eliminate the onside. The the Shiano thing is the only logical conclusion to all of this. And I think that was, you get like 4th and 15 from your own 35. So you get the ball in the 35, you make it past midfield on one play, you get the ball back, essentially. And if you don't, the other team does. Interesting. I mean, I honestly, whatever. That's probably the easiest way of doing it. Um, It's more football plays, at least. Right. And if they're eliminating the kickoff, that's basically the only thing you're left with, right? You've got to create some kind of random scenario in order to get you the ball back or not. And that seems as good a one as any. But my point I think is, you two guys sprint to go get the ball on the ground. like the XFL, XFL that worked style. out well. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's a real good one for player safety. But the team, the kicking team, has to be starting from further back. You further have to make back. it back. Yeah, because <laughs> you can't make it a fifty-fifty proposition to get the ball back. Why not? You got to make it about twenty percent, like the old kickoff. Anyway, my point is that you need to actually score quicker now because you basically you're not getting the right. outside. You can't get those rapid fire multiple scores. All right, let's get to the uh, last Sunday matchup. The Eagles defeat the Chicago Bears 16-15. to What an exciting 16-15 to game. Come on, people. You don't need to have 54-51 on Monday Night Football to have an exciting football game. There was so much drama in this game. Just a lot of fun. And this was uh, both defenses played pretty well. Both quarterbacks were very inconsistent. But, man, Nick Foles. Trubisky made a ton of really nice throws down the stretch. But Nick Foles, outside of a couple throws, was definitely, uh, you know, still... Still feeling it. Trubisky uh, threw for 300 yards, didn't throw an interception, had a passer rating of, you know, 90. How come his grade's so bad, Steve? Oh, definitely, definitely should have had three interceptions. Why do you have to get to trolling right away? Because you always get to the negative part. I was going to say, look, he was on his way to probably a 28 grade at one point. He had the ball in the end zone. He threw the same exact pass as Nick Foles, where they were scrambling right, Yeah, chucked it up to a safety in the end zone, Foles has got intercepted. It was both, both of them were terrible. Foles got intercepted. Trubisky's got dropped. Trubisky also had two extremely late passes to the sideline that easily could have been pick sixes. Avante Maddox bobbled one out of bounds. That was his fault. And then the other one was a little bit harder interception, but it was a bad decision. That's so he fun. got harsh downgrades. He easily could have had three interceptions. He gets downgraded for all of them. But I give Trubisky the credit for the play. He made a ton of big plays down the stretch. The cover two shot that he made to put them into field goal range if Parkey hits the field goal, it's, it's a whole different narrative in Chicago. Look at this comeback that Trubisky made, and he deserves credit for that. The cover two hit sh- uh, shot that he hit, that was what he did in college. They don't, teams don't, quarterbacks don't hit cover two shots. That's in between the corner and the safety. They don't even do that in college all the time. Trubisky did it pretty regularly. Nobody plays cover two in college. Well, they play six. 
a lot. So there's a cover to your side, but it's usually to the field, and you don't throw that way. Trubisky did it more than everybody. And uh, it was, it was you know, one of those things that he was good at coming out of college, and he did a nice job with it. When Washington State broke out cover two against Jared Goff, it was like somebody had reinvented the their wheel it was like some new coverage nobody had ever seen they got like three interceptions it was off them in the first half it was bad um so when the when cody parkey was iced he made the fatal mistake of going through with the kick anyway putting it through the posts you never know when you're going to be iced though you just oh he knew the whistle like there was one of those ones where the whistle goes but you're going to run through the motions of the kick anyway just to you know just to get your cider in right but you're Cody Parkey. You only have one in you. You can't waste it on the one that's blown up for icing the kicker. If your mind is saying, I'm Cody Parkey, I've only got one kick in me, you've got much bigger issues. Well, he does. You're talking about a man that's hit the upright now, what, five times? Six times? Six. Six the times. Upright and crossbar. Does six times count one. the second doink? No, because he's hit six so uprights hit- and one crossbar. Okay. Six uprights and one crossbar. Right. If you've hit six uprights on one crossbar or five uprights heading into that kick, you need to understand your limitations. You can't waste one good kick. Trubisky needs to give him some of his interception luck. He needs some of the upright luck. It's bad. I, it I rough. Love, Chris had a great line, though. I should say a double doink. It was double a great, doink. A great coinage of terms. Like, Eliminated like from the playoffs WWF with by a double doinks. Doink. Wow. Old school wrestling yeah. reference. We have some old school wrestling fans that listen to, so they'll appreciate that. Uh, we talked about before the game Nick Foles and that um, I thought they had a great stat. Uh, I believe it was our numbers. Nick Foles, when he's hit and he had the best passer rate. So essentially when he gets knocked down, best passer rating in the NFL going into the game. And he still made a bunch of those throws. I mean, he just made a ton of throws where he knows he's going to get hit and did a nice job with them. Overall, though, he had that interception under pressure as well that kind of offset the numbers. Um, but that was like that's like the Nick Foles story again, right? He's going to make some nice throws under pressure because he's got the Josh McCown oblivious, obliviousness quotient, which they're calling a Jamoke in the YouTube what? comments. Josh McCown obliviousness quotient Jamoke. Jamoke. That's how I pronounce it. J M O Q. Okay. Jamoke, the Jamoke quotient. Wait, that's that's being redundant. Um, so he's going to make some really nice throws, but he's going to make some some bad ones. But he's still got that magic going. Yeah. He does. Um, but, again, this is, this is another game in the 70s. Is that as much as the magic is still going, we haven't seen the real Nick Foles I don't think we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see more 92-graded oh, Nick Foles. But this was, this was also against the best defense in the NFL, the Bears, who do. You could just tell you know, how difficult they make every single pass. You know, if, if a guy was open, Foles was trying to hit him while under pressure. If Foles had a clean pocket, he's trying to make a tight window throw. Everything was really challenged by that Bears defense. And again, let's not give too much credit to the offenses here, right? I mean, it was a 16-15 to 15 game. Both defenses played really good ball games. They did. Um, the Eagles' defense was really good, with the exception of Avante Maddox, who started the game really well. And then, I don't know if he just got greedy or excited or whatever happened, but he just, they started to target him at that point. It was yeah. ironic, because as soon as he'd made a couple of good plays... I don't know if they'd seen something with the the speed that he was breaking on those shorter patterns and decided that he was ripe for a double move and then several more double moves after that. He had the two pass breakups that should have been picks. The one late late to the sideline to Jordan Howard and the one that he bobbled along the sideline to Allen Robinson. So you look at those and you're like, wow, he is inches from making the plays that are going to determine this game. We We need to stop throwing it his way. 
Whereas the Bears took a look at that and said, he is breaking on those so quickly. Let's hit him with a double move. Right. And then let's hit him with four more. Um, and they really went after him at and that, that Well, that was him sinking in cover two as well, right? I thought yeah. there wasn't much he could do there, to be honest. Trubisky put that ball in a great spot. I thought Chris highlighted, too, the fact that he kind of back-shouldered the corner and kept it away from uh, Maddox's leverage was a nice throw. But again, what we've been saying heading into this game is that the guys that they were forced to play early in the year because they got so many injuries, um, Trey Sullivan, Craven LeBlanc, those guys had really big games. Uh, LeBlanc was the guy breaking up the pass that somehow didn't become a fumble because we couldn't. Nobody picked the ball up. That was weird. By the way, pick the ball up, right? Just play. Who cares what you think it is? Pick it up because yes. this could happen. Just always pick it up, right? The Anthony Miller was Anthony Miller. He was the receiver, right? Yes. He was just walking away, pissed off with himself because he'd allowed the ball to come out. Just walk five yards to your right, pick it up. Hand it to the official. Well, football coaches love training this stuff anyway. They love training stuff that never happens on the field, right. whether it's like, even when you're tackled, I want you to run through the end zone another 80 yeah, yards yeah. to finish the play. Everybody in special right. teams, right? right? You see all those, the kicks run in the end zone. Run through the end zone. And the, all, the entire kickoff unit runs into the end zone before right. they circle back around. Coaches For love no doing this no reason whatsoever. This is, there's actually a purpose to this one. Yes. Just pick up every football on the ground. And sometimes it looks silly. There's a bad, it's clear batted oh, pass. It's going to look ridiculous, but this is the play where it matters. Yes. Because for all the world, that looks like an incomplete pass. Right. But it wouldn't be if you just picked the ball up. Yep. Always pick up the ball on the, on the ground. But as you were saying, the, the unheralded guys like Trey Sullivan, three pass breakups back at safety. He's come out of nowhere to play well. Well, he was the guy getting, like, he was the guy early in the season where I was like, someone needs to get him off the field before he hurts himself. Yeah. Like, but they had nobody else to get him off the field for. It's like, we, we literally can't take you off the field because the alternative is putting, like, a middle linebacker in a corner. Yeah, whereas he's actually playing well now. Yeah, he made a couple couple big plays there. Uh, they got some pressure up front, not as much as they usually do. Uh, the Eagles' front, no real dominant performances there. So nice job by the uh, the Bears' offensive line. What was the official uh, pressure total? It's not always about pressure total; it's about speed of pressure and all Ten that stuff. Ten gave up the offensive line. Ten. There was some. There were some quick ones too. Trubisky was. There was a couple plays where he was under. Um, Quick, quick pressure, but still only pressured on 15 of 47 dropbacks. That's that's a win against this Philadelphia defensive front. And um, almost all of those well pressures, pressure. well, half those pressures came against Kyle Long, uh, chiefly because he was the guy having to deal with Fletcher Cox for most of the game. Right. So that's oh, he happen. got whooped a couple times. Right. Real quick ones. So that's going to be a problem. That was the thing. The Eagles' wins were quick ones, um, but they didn't have – the thing that's made the Eagles difficult is you have multiple guys winning on plays and all that stuff, but they had a bunch of just isolated, quick wins, and that was it. So Brandon Graham got himself a sack. He had a typical Brandon Graham game, which is seven pressures and only one sack. Wait, here's I said ten. So no, 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 I no, said no, ten no, sacks no, this season. No. So here's the thing, though. What do you mean? I'm going to offer you the chance to go double or quits if he gets ten for the remainder of the playoffs. Which could be one game, could be, what, three games? We never specifically games, said the regular season, did we? We meant the regular season. Hold on, there is, there is, sure we did. There's a post-it there. behind the anyway, camera. I am offering you the opportunity to double or quits on the Brandon Graham bet during their playoff run. No shot. No, they're playing the Saints. There's no chance he sacks Drew Brees. They probably lose. If no they shot. they win, he's got another game there, though. If they win, oh, then they have Dak again. Maybe yeah. You might have Dak or Goff. They love to take sacks. This is no what I'm shot. saying. No shot. Come on. Not a chance. You don't have any faith I in would like Graham to. paying you back. I would like to read the post-it where we wrote the bet. I mean, he's 60% like, of the time there. 
I would like to know if it's specified regular season because there's a chance I'm I'm still alive anyway. No chance. The logistics of the uh, there is no chance terms of the bet. Any other uh, big takeaways here? Uh, (laughs) I just I kind of like the idea that people come out of this game celebrating. Like I told you, this is I told you the Eagles are going to win. Like this game went down to the wire. Could have gone either way based off. What may or may not have been a tipped kick. Well, there was a fourth down convert, a, you know, right. a fourth down conversion by Foles, and a potentially tipped kick or whatever. The it was only by way parking. to come out of this game and have been right going into it was if you said it was like a razor thin game that could go either way. Like the idea that, well, I said the Eagles would win, and I'm right because they did. It's like, yeah, but like, you're just I mean, mad because you picked the Bears. If the guy, I don't look. I this one, whatever. This could have gone either way. I said it was a close game. The Chargers one was the one I screwed up. Um, yeah, you did. And then nailed the first two. But, like, so I, I've seen the definitive proof that that kick was tipped in the video, and I still can't tell if it was tipped or not. Maybe it was, but whatever. The idea that this <laughs> slow-mo, frame-by-frame, maybe the ball was tipped is what determined who won this game, and you're coming out of it, like, celebrating as if you nailed it. The Eagles averaged uh, 1.8 yards per carry in their victory. But they, how many carries do they have? Because that's all that matters. See, the yards are a bonus. Let's see. They had more carries than the Bears. I think that was the key. You Teams see? that runs them. The run. yards are just So the Bears bonus. only had 18 carries for 65 yards, 3.6 per carry. But the Eagles had more attempts. Well, there you go. They established it more. More established. That's why they had that. That's why that fourth down conversion uh, was good. Uh, Nick Foles remains uh, a little scary because of the obliviousness. He just you know gets in there and makes I throws. I think we're going to get a game. That's old Nick Foles magic. We've had moderate magic so far. In the far. dome. We've actually, the Saints. ironically, for a guy that we said the widest spectrum of possible play for Nick Foles, he could be anything from amazing to abysmal. He's been like mid-70s every single game. So this is, this is what we've, we've actually been debating this around the PFF office a little bit. When you talk about a volatile quarterback, should you look at it at the game level or do you look at it at the throw level? And then the throws can happen at any time. They can happen within a game or they right. can happen spread out over the season. Because Jameis, we always talk about, is this crazy volatile quarterback, which he is. Mm-hmm. But he still lands at like the same season grade all the time. And his volatility shows up everywhere. Foles, we were talking about vol- volatile from a game standpoint, where he'll put a 40 grade, he'll put up a 90 grade. But he's just been throw for throw volatile. You've got, that, you've got great de- throws down the field, and then you've got the interception. That was terrible. By the way, 10 men on the field for his touchdown? That's a problem. So yeah. if, you're, if you're the Bears and you're just like, all right, Cody Parkey, it's all your fault. How about just 10, the touchdown that you give up? You give up two touchdowns, one of which has 10 men on the field. Yeah. Plus, you know, Trubisky throw the, threw the ball two defenders three times. That's an issue. I mean, they didn't catch any of them. We could look at it both like ways. Problem. Well, it didn't happen. You know, there were three guys in this game that are five foot six. Three guys played snaps in this game that are five six. No, I don't care about short guys. But Boston Scott was one of them, so I care. Oh, Boston. That's good for him. Boston Scott got himself one snap. Uh, Darren Sproles obviously had a bunch of them. And then Tariq Cohen, all five foot six. This is why I show up here. Midgets. Every week. I want to see for the you, nuggets that you pull surrounded up. by those three. <laughs> Just like me, you and Tariq, Sproles, and uh, Boston Scott. Yeah. That's Boston a picture. Scott still has a, a future in the NFL. I will miss, rest in peace, to the Bears' uh, two-point packages. To some of the plays that they put Khalil I, I just love it they just throw random defensive players out there I'm sixth just, offensive lineman I'm just bummed they didn't hand the ball off to Khalil Mack oh so I was like I was looking at my wife I go Khalil Mack is at running back Khalil Mack's at running back they're gonna do it they motioned him in there. then they motion yeah. him out I mean 
They are. They talk about mad, mad scientist plays. These are fantastic plays. They're like, all right, we're going to take Khalil Mack. Everybody's going to be looking at him. We're going to put him in the backfield. Then we're going to motion him out. Then everybody's going to put their eyes on him, and we're going to run the jet sweep toss the other way. It is. It didn't work, but very creative. <laughs> very creative. I like the one week they put the four defensive linemen out there. It is tough to match up. Who's eligible? Who's ineligible? Yeah. Who's actually running routes? Who's right. game planning for Akeem Hicks to catch was, a pass was versus it, Bradley Soul? Was it yeah, Bradley Soul, the one where he caught the options, the eligible receiver options on that play were Bradley Soul, a tackle, Akeem Hicks, a defensive tackle, like somebody Eddie else. Goldman was in there, right. I think. Right? There was like there was like three passing options, and all of them were absurd. They were all three hundred twenty to three hundred sixty pounds. Yeah, essentially. Um, so rest in peace, Bears. Two point offense. We'll um, we'll have to break them all down individually this offseason to, to keep us busy. Uh, we'll talk about the Eagles moving forward. Um, they just got destroyed by the Saints a couple months ago in the Dome. But that was the Carson Wentz Eagles. Yeah. Nick this Foles, is, This is the Nick Foles Eagles. I expect them to be a little bit better defensively. We'll break it all down on Thursday. Uh, I thought Wild Card Weekend was very exciting. There was plenty to talk about, which we just did. Divisional round football, though, is always just a great weekend of football. So we'll be looking forward to that on Thursday. Anything else from... Uh, from this weekend? Yeah, not from this weekend, but for Thursday. We're having uh, Ross Tucker on the show. Oh, yeah, we're going to have Ross yeah. on here. He's fellow come uh, on for like 15 minutes, I think, break down the upcoming games. From the Ross Tucker football podcast and many other Many other podcasts. podcasts. And serious. And serious. And many other things. Ross He's, is everywhere. He is everywhere. We're going to get into, Ross, how are you everywhere? Um, and get into some of the other Can we logistics. get a free subscription for Tuckheads? We'll have to ask him. I want to get on TuckHeads.com. Look, we're just all this promotion for uh, for Ross. Let's promote PFF, too. Don't forget PFF Elite. Um, We've got a lot of people are loving PFF Elite right now more than ever. It's like a really good start to the year as far as that's that's your department, Sam. You're doing a good job with it. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Let's keep it going. Uh, I don't want to jinx it. Plus, now we hit into the offseason. Like, this is the time. Yeah. Like elite is uh, elite and player grades are fun during the season because you get to see how guys are going every week, et cetera, et cetera. But now when you hit free agency in particular, free agency is where premium stats is your goal mine because your team is going to sign a guy who sucks and you get to quantify just how badly he sucks. You're going to based off sign a guy that's grades. great. That's great. <laughs> or oh, you're going to think he's great. Then you're going to sign up and then realize he sucks. Yeah. Maybe see? that's it. So the premium stats are going to tell you just how much your guy, your new to, acquisition, either sucks or does not. We need to work on your sales pitch, Sam. We need to work on it. You don't understand how much people want to know how much the guy sucks they just signed. It's the offseason. Everybody's, off, everybody's winning the Super Bowl next year. Everybody's very optimistic. Let them be optimistic. Negativity sells, Steve. Have you learned nothing over the past few years? Let me be the optimistic one then. We'll get both ends of the spectrum. So PFF Elite, go check it out. It's got premium stats 2.0. Thanks to everybody for tuning in live on YouTube and over in podcast land. We'll chat again on Thursday, previewing every divisional round game. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, 
you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.